I'm Farah Duro, and you're listening to the PCS Revolution Podcast. Hello there and welcome back to the PCOS Revolution podcast. Spring is here and we are in full swing of our first week of the PCOS Revolution 30-day jumpstart. So if you'd like to sign up, just go to freepcoscourse.com and register today since there's still time to get started. If you've caught this episode a little later, however, don't worry. You can still jump into our free PCOS Revolution 30-day jumpstart Facebook group and catch the next one soon. So I just wanted to take a moment this week to revisit basal body temperature charting, since in my opinion, it's one of the cheapest and easiest ways to figure out what the heck's going on with your hormones on a daily basis without expensive testing. From tracking the length of your luteal phase when faced with irregular cycles, to seeing if you're pregnant or not, to also helping you recognize if you might need further thyroid testing, we're going to dive in today once again to an episode from season three on how to track your temps. So if you're an avid listener to this show and have heard this episode before, I encourage you to listen again since you might be in a different place than you were when you first heard it. You might also want a little refresher if you've been tracking your temps for some time, but would like a little more insight into how best to interpret them. In my practice, I've had situations come up where a patient's BBT temps were very low, so we looked a little more deeply into that patient's thyroid function, and sure enough, it was definitely off. Now, I've also had countless times that I've seen a pregnancy in the BBT chart before even a pregnancy test was performed. So long second-guessing yourself from irregular cycles, right? So I won't make you wait any longer. Let's jump in once again to BBT charting. I am so excited because we're going to be doing something a little bit different today. I decided to do a several part series on helping you understand your cycle a little better and really boosting your fertility. Uh, this is for anybody actually listening who has PCOS or irregular cycles, or maybe just is contemplating a medicated cycle and wants a little bit of a jumpstart uh, on ways that they can actually improve your fertility naturally. And I just thought that since we usually explain this in our office so much uh, during the day throughout the week with our patients and also with patients who are calling us from different areas and parts of the world, um, that we go through a few things and just kind of give you an idea and overview of how to really address this. So, um, so I'm actually going to be um, giving you some suggestions and some tips as we go along. And I hope this is going to be really helpful for you. Um, I'm really excited to give this information to you. A lot of this is from my book that I wrote uh, over the course of about 12 years helping patients conceive and working with uh, various fertility clinics. Uh, So it is from my um, guide for couples actually going through fertility treatment and also considering um, natural treatment or trying to conceive on their own. And and so I hope you find this helpful. Uh, I'll post a link to the guide if you'd like to download that. Uh, I think it is actually in the Amazon store and it is on Kindle as well. And I think that you'll actually really appreciate some of the insights that we have. 
talking today. So without further ado, we're going to actually get into the nitty gritty and the numbers. Uh, we're going to talk about how many people worldwide do you think are actually having problems conceiving? And um, when I researched this number recently, it really varies worldwide between 50 to 100 million couples, which sounds like a whole lot. Um, so if you're definitely not alone, if you're experiencing this and I mean, the good news is that with proper treatment, that two out of three couples will be successful in having a baby. Um, and the earlier the treatment is sought, the better. So from my point of view, I'm an, a reproductive acupuncturist and herbalist. Uh, actually, the concept of fertility being treated with uh, traditional Chinese medicine goes way back to the Song Dynasty. And that is around 960 to 1279 CE. So uh, you'll see that um, in really ancient texts by Chen Ziming, hope I didn't butcher that name. He basically said menstruation must be regulated first. And if not, myriad illnesses may ensue. If menstruation is regular, the woman will get pregnant. So in our clinic, we do focus on the period like the report card. And the concept of regulating the menstrual cycle to promote fertility has really been strongly emphasized for centuries in Eastern medicine. So that is our goal and our report card each month, uh, especially with PCOS when there might not be a cycle. So for uh, our, in our, our point of view, our goal is to help regulate the cycle first. And usually everything sort of falls in place after that. So what is infertility? It's infertility is defined as the inability of couples of reproductive age to establish a pregnancy within one year through unprotected intercourse. And the basic causes of infertility are about 50% female, 35% male, 10% unexplained and 5% due to other causes. You know, those a lot of numbers come out sometimes when we're looking at our fertility, like um, how much our, our ovarian reserve can decline sometimes with age. But actually, uh, we all start out at about 20 weeks gestation. Our ovaries contain about six to seven million oocytes, which is a whole lot. <laughs> and that declines by two, to one to two million by the time we're born. So we start out with six to seven million eggs and that drops by the time we're born to one to two million. And then by puberty, there's about 300 to 400,000 follicles remaining in the ovaries. But out of all of those follicles, we're only gonna ovulate about 400 eggs in our lifetime until roughly age 51 when menopause occurs. So of course it varies. Uh, if you have PCOS and you're not ovulating, you're really like saving up those follicles. You have a lot of half developed follicles sometimes around the ovaries. Um, so that you can see sometimes on an ultrasound. Um, but to figure out really what goes into ovulation and creating all this growth and development, we have to look at the brain. And to understand how reproduction works and how treatments such as acupuncture and mind-body techniques come into play, it's important to look at the brain. Uh, because this, this one area called the anterior pituitary is responsible for all the production of the hormones like LH, which is luteinizing hormone, and FSH, which is our follicle stimulating hormone. And these act on the ovaries. 
Uh, so super important is another one called the gonadotropin releasing hormone, which is GNRH, and it's released by the hypothalamus and it acts on the pituitary in coordinated pulse frequencies. So you've got all this activity humming around between the ovaries and the brain and the brain to the ovaries. And the other hormones you might be familiar with are estrogen, which is, you could see it right now as E2, and progesterone, P4, that act on the uterine lining or endometrium. And they are produced by the growing follicle, so the dominant follicle and corpus luteum. So that's what happens after to, to the follicle after the egg has been expelled. Um, so during pregnancy, the placenta assumes production of progesterone at about 10 to 12 weeks. And this is often the time your reproductive specialist will tell you to stop any progesterone supplementation. Uh, if you've been using it for an IVF cycle or after an IVF transfer or just because you were diagnosed with low progesterone. Usually you don't need it because your placenta, this magical organ that you just grew, is actually producing that progesterone. So during a normal menstrual cycle, progesterone and estrogen contribute to thickening of the lining to allow for implantation. And just before your cycle, your menses occurs, that estrogen progesterone drop to allow for proper shedding of the endometrium. So this is where Chinese herbal treatment comes in. It also helps regulate your menses by working with the distinct phases of the cycle. So for example, one of the formulas we use in our clinic is called Blossom, it's, uh, made by Evergreen Herbs. So this is a formula that's actually comprised of four different herbal formulas, one for each week of the month, beginning with phase one during uh, the menstrual cycle and ending with phase four, which would be during your luteal phase right before. So a course of herbal treatments often recommended prior to or along with acupuncture for at least three to six months when preparing for a medicated fertility cycle or just being used uh, as a standalone treatment in the case of unexplained infertility or with PCOS. So a lot of times we see, we've talked about a little bit on the show that we have had patients who actually regulate or start to ovulate on their own with Chinese herbs and acupuncture. And this is because it's actually being used in a, in a really distinct method of creating a cycle without the use of birth control. So that's one of the beauties and why I love Chinese herbal medicine so much along with acupuncture. Um, so important thing to note though, once you start fertility medications, uh, we discontinue Chinese herbal medicine usually um, at the discretion of the treating reproductive specialist and uh, Chinese herbal medicine practitioner so as not to interfere with proper medication dosage because how do they know what your estrogen levels are doing if you actually are using herbs that are slightly phytoestrogenic in a, a, you know, a very mild way that could possibly throw off your estrogen readings if you are using um, estrogen supplementation as well as part of treatment. So we just try to make sure we don't complicate the picture as well if you're, if you're starting a round of um, injectable fertility medication typically. So that being said, in our clinic, the number one question we get from patients is how do I know when I'm ovulating? And especially if you have PCOS. So um, the ways of monitoring ovulation are just too numerous to list right now. But basically, if you search for ovulation predictors online, it'll give you some idea. And 
with our patients, we do ask to use a combination of basal body temperature charting, which is called BBT charting, with a reliable ovulation predictor test for no more than two to three months, just to determine if ovulation is occurring. Because, you know, especially if someone has been charting for months and months and months, it can get very stressful, you know, and it's a bit depressing sometimes when you're not seeing a whole lot of fluctuation with your temperatures. So... I thought that because we talk about temperature charting so much and sometimes it's kind of a little understood but very um, convenient and free method actually of determining what your body's doing um, that we'll talk about that a little bit today and I think you can really glean some important information from it um, and get to know your body a little bit better and to also see if you're fertile or even if you're pregnant. We've used it many times for that. So so there are only a certain times during your menstrual cycle when you are fertile or can get pregnant. So it really pays to know when those times are. And you know, we've had patients with PCOS where the BBT charting just goes on and on and on. And then finally around like day 36 or 40, ovulation happens and we can see it. And guess what? We can also see when someone's pregnant because that chart jumps up and it doesn't really stop. It just keeps going. It doesn't ever come down as far as the temperature. So we know in a typical luteal phase, it's about 12 to 14 days after you ovulate. Well, if that temperature is still up 16 days past ovulation, it's probably a good idea to take a pregnancy test, which is very helpful when you don't have regular cycles so that you're not testing all the time and driving yourself crazy. So, um, so your body will give you clear clues and signals as to when your fertile window is approaching. And we know that a woman is fertile when she's ovulating and for about four to five days before ovulation, when fertile cervical mucus is present. So you can also tell from your cervical mucus as well. Ovulation typically, I mean, on a typical cycle can occur mid-cycle. Obviously, if you have very long cycles, it's going to be delayed a little bit. But more precisely, it occurs 14 days before the onset of bleeding. So that is true uh, in just about everyone, give or take a few days. But it can be delayed by many factors. So ovulation can be delayed by sickness, alcohol, or prescription drug intake, travel and stress. So travel and stress are big ones for a lot of our patients too. Um, so just kind of the cycle can get a little wacky because of that. And this is the main reason why just counting the days can be inaccurate. So to make matters even more confusing, a study published in the British Medical Journal in 2000, it concluded that in only about 30% of women is the fertile window entirely within the days uh, that the menstrual cycle identified by clinical guidelines, like between uh, days 10 through 17, which is uh, the typical range that most people say to start using fertility or ovulation trackers. So um, that's only in 30% of women. So there's a lot of women that fall out of those guidelines and you'll find that your success in tracking your fertility will be far greater when you become attuned to your own personal fertility signals rather than just counting the days. And so this is kind of a brief little guide that I've put together from both personal and patient comments throughout the years and the time frame varies. So don't worry if your cycle is not the same. Just keep in mind that each woman's physiology is different. 
So the first step is to find a system of recording your menstrual cycle and fertile times that's easy for you to use. So you can use uh, the guide that um, I'm speaking about now um, that we're actually uh, using a lot of times with our patients that we'll post a link to, or you can actually use a uh, smartphone app. And there's so many of those that exist. Um, so I think that there's one called Eve and there's one called Period Tracker Light. There's so many of them. Um, so you can actually use the apps or you can actually just print out a basal body temperature chart and you can start charting it. They're offered in Celsius and Fahrenheit as well. So the first thing is to start charting. Yes. And you want to start on day one of your cycle typically. So that's going to be the first full day of flow, not spotting. And at this point, you may note like, any cramps or clots or mucus like discharge that could be visible. And at our clinic, we recommend using pads since they're, they're more like a canvas on which the quality of your menstrual blood is best viewed. And, I th you know, we ask our patients to note the color because Chinese medicine is very detailed and they're we're really interested and knowing about this. <laughs> this is one of our favorite questions to ask when someone first comes in. What color is your flow? Is it bright red? Is it dark? Is it cloudy? Is it not? And, you know, the best scenario is going to be a bright red flow lasting at least four days. And the worst scenario, which can be improved, it's uh, not the end of the world, but it's it's usually um, not a great sign to us, is more of a dark brown to black uh, cycle with large clots. So, um, and a lot of patients will come in with that. Uh, and we do see a change in that over time with treatment. So typically um, after the menses, there's an increase in physical energy and vitality. And emotionally, you might feel like your mood has been lifted. You're more outgoing and sociable uh, and sleep patterns and appetite return to normal. So that's typically um, the hallmark of that that particular period of time. And, and then we go into post menses and, uh, as your cycle of mood get a little bit more improved, the ovulation approaches and mucus becomes more kind of wet or slippery. And, um, it might be that you have some spotting or cramping sometimes during ovulation. And that's just what, um, is important to note during the, in the, in the BBT chart. So in traditional Chinese medicine, we refer, we refer to this stage as the yin building into yang and yang being an active force such as ovulation, yin being the body's fluids. So when ovulation happens, you can, you can tell that sometimes you're actually going to see an increase in cervical mucus. So uh, some people do, some people don't. It's easy to miss sometimes also. Um, but if you see that you're wiping a little bit more, that's usually one of the indicators. Um, you might have a little bit more breast tenderness, sometimes mood swings, um, an increase in libido. And sometimes you have cramps, which is called metal smirts. Um, you might have um, a positive surge on an LH or, or an ovulation test strip, a fertility monitor if you're using that. And that might not be as reliable if you have PCOS. So just note that when you're using those sticks, they might not work for you if they're always positive or you're getting more than uh, one or two days of positive readings. So um, if that's happening again, the BBT chart is really going to be your best bet. And then you're going to be 
basically watch for a drop in that temperature and then it's going to spike. It could spike anywhere from 0.3 degrees to one degree. So watch for that climb. It's just kind of like, it looks like um, a little uh, hill just before growing into a mountain. So you see a, a lower temperatures, a drop and then a spike, and then it stays high typically for the luteal phase. So, so it's a hill before the mountain. <laughs> and then once we get into our post ovulation, our week three, it's the beginning of our premenstrual phase. Um, you'll notice the mucus production slows. It, things become drier and um, mood might balance out a little bit more again until we get into week four, which is our premenstrual phase. Uh, the premenstrual phase can really be, some of you might have symptoms, some of you are lucky enough where you don't, but um, that's, those symptoms include sometimes bloating and cramps, headaches, mood swings, food cravings, and insomnia. Um, now, the temperature should rise and to continue to rise until your period comes. Or if it is your lucky month, it will continue to rise further past that 16 to 18 days after ovulation mark. And that's a really strong clue to go ahead and take a pregnancy test. And often we see a pronounced three-step rise on the BBT chart associated with a positive pregnancy test. If the temperature drops, this is associated also with a drop in estrogen and decreased energy levels along with libido. So it's kind of like, oh God, here, I feel it coming. Boom. It's, uh, the temperatures actually go down and you get your period. So you can kind of see when your cycle's coming also. It's sort of neat that way. So, you know, what the main the main takeaway from this is to note that ovulation may not always occur at day 14, which is why counting the days or the rhythm method is it could be unreliable and often incorrect to gauge fertility. But periods do usually arrive 14 days after ovulation. So if you have if you've confirmed your ovulation, you can actually see that your cycle is going to be due or in about 14 days. So super helpful if you're one of those 40 to 50 day cycle time spans. Uh, when you're charting and charting and charting and oh look you did ovulate if you're planning that vacation guess what your cycle is going to be due in two weeks when you see um, the ovulation happen and you can kind of uh, expect that so it's a great predictor unless you're pregnant of course so in irregular cycles it's uh, the first half of the cycle or follicular phase which varies in length so that's rather than the second half of the cycle so and you know it just is bleeding almost always occurs between 12 and 14 days after ovulation unless there's some sort of progesterone deficiency or we call luteal phase defect so it's only through getting to know your individual cycle that you can know what pattern what the distinct pattern you have is so if you experience a constant reliable rhythm then it's yours regardless of how it fits into the norm so don't get fixated on numbers um, and you know, a lot of times when we are charting, um, you're going to be doing that temperature reading the very first thing when you wake up. So you're, you don't even get out of bed to pee or do anything. You're basically just opening your eyes, popping that thermometer in your mouth. And it's better if you can do this around the same time every day. So you're basically uh, charting your temperatures, uh, being pretty diligent with that. It becomes a habit actually after a little while. Um, and you just leave your thermometer beside the bed. You can actually hit save if you want and you can go back to sleep if you'd like. So just um, set an alarm if you need to do that and stay within a half hour on either side of your average time because it can vary with the time. So if you take your temperature at 6 a.m., it's okay to take your BBT between 5.30 to 6.30, but closer to 6 the better.
So the normal variation is up to 0.2 degrees per hour. So it's lower if you take your temperature earlier and higher if you take it too late. Um, so it's basically, you know, best case scenario, we say take your temperature after a minimum of five hours of sleep and at least have uh, three in a row. So if you sleep, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you go back to sleep, but you sleep for at least three hours, then at least that that's good. So um, hopefully you're sleeping more than that, but that's worst case scenario. So um, so most, most of the time we do recommend taking the temperature orally and just stay with the same method the entire cycle. Um, and, you know, just try to place the thermometer in the same area. And you could plot your temperature on your chart every day, but just don't read too much into it until your cycle is finished. So don't base your mood for the day on what your temperature is. Definitely not. Um, so I hope that, you know, that makes sense to you because a lot of, we get a lot of questions about uh charting our BBT charts. And some, some people say, oh, well, my doctor said it wasn't that important and that sort of thing. But I've actually seen um, improvements in these charts over time when we're treating with herbs and acupuncture as the brain actually picks up those signals better. Um, and I think it's a great uh, visual, visual aspect to the treatment. So um, if you are getting acupuncture, or you're taking Chinese herbs or you're taking supplements, uh, I think it's great to have that insight. And you can always bring that into your gynecologist or you can bring it into your practitioner and see and let them know like look this is what's going on um, if you're not getting any spikes at all if it's just kind of flatlining throughout that's usually a sign that you're not ovulating so that's important to address that as well main uh, thing also point um, of, of talking about these temperatures during mid-cycle some people think can I use this as an ovulation predictor where I can kind of see when I'm ovulating and then I can try to have sex. Well, that's really not going to be that helpful because it's usually going to show you after the fact sometimes. So you can see a clear pattern, but it might not give you enough notice to actually start trying according to the temperature. So a lot of times uh, I like to see it for um, a little bit like deeper aspect of really what's happening during the cycle, but not really using it much as an ovulation predictor. So I still think that the fertile cues like your cervical mucus and libido and all those things are actually going to be a little bit better cues. And if you are using ovulation predictors, that's going to actually show you if you're going to be ovulating between 24 to 48 hours um, after you'll see a positive. So it's not the day that you see the positive you're ovulating. It's actually happening um, where that LH surge happens, it's a little bit after that. So not to get too confusing, but a lot of patients like to chart at, at the same time, the temperatures, and then they mark when they had that LH surge. So they'll see if their temperatures are actually correlating. So you're looking at your temperatures and you're seeing a bunch of 97.3, 97.8, 7.4. And then you see one weird spike, like all the way up and then it goes back down. Well, we call it rule of thumb. You can actually cover up that uh, abnormal temperature shooting up and it could be that you had a slight fever that day or it was a fluke but if it's typically returning back to normal again I typically don't pay attention too much to that one high temperature so um, you can see usually the shift there and um, and you can also look at the chart at the end of the month to really analyze what happened so for instance like if you're charting for a few months and you you start to look for patterns you'll see that um, your temperature is staying up um, for about 14 to 16 days which is healthy but what if it's only staying up for 12 days then maybe 
maybe that's showing that you might have a little issue with progesterone and it might need some some looking into. Or what if it's only high for 10 days, which might not be giving your body enough time to allow for implantation. So that's one of the reasons. What if your temperatures are extremely low for most of the month? Well, maybe we need to look a little bit into our thyroid. So we're just um, looking at, you know, those basic things. And um, that's what it's going to tell you if you have a good biphasic pattern. It's a good sign. Um, You should have your healthy temperature should stay up ideally 14 days after ovulation. Um, But you can see that some people will vary on that a little bit. And and definitely we say more than 16 days, take a pregnancy test. So actually, we had a patient who was very upset one day because she said, I thought this was supposed to be helping me regulate my cycles. She had PCOS and um, the temperature charts were going just on and on. So so she actually had two pages of charts. Um, So you can picture, you know, this continuous sort of temperature. And then I saw it dropped and it stayed high and I counted it and it was actually 17 days that the temperature had been high. So what we did is we asked her to take a pregnancy test in the office it was positive and she was pregnant so um, she had been you know really surprised because she had been taking the herbs and doing acupuncture for about three months and thought you know why is my cycle so long like this should have been helping well actually she ovulated around day 37 I believe so you know it could be that um, when we think of something that's not um, maybe my body's not working with this type of treatment we actually need to look a little bit deeper into um, the cycle for this. So in her case, the BBT chart actually told her that she was pregnant, which was wonderful. So anyway, she went on to have a healthy, happy pregnancy and she actually conceived again three more times after that. So without the use of medications, um, just basically herbs. Uh, so I think that, you know, if your cycles are irregular, you need to find out what's causing the irregularity. Could be that, you know, we need to work a little bit more with herbs and acupuncture. If they're every month, if they're varying in length, they should still, I, I believe that we always aim to have the cycle kind of hover around, let's say, you know, no difference, like I'd say like four to six day difference. So if you have a 32 cycle, a 32 day cycle one month and you have a 36 day cycle the next month and then you go back to 33, I think that's still okay. But when we get beyond that and it's really short or really long, we need to work with that. So so, um, and you know, the average ranges of, of, uh, temperatures on the BBT in Fahrenheit, they can range between 97 to, uh, 97.7 before ovulation and then 97.7 to 99 after ovulation. And I'm not sure how that translates into Celsius. Sorry guys. But, um, but that's, you know, what, what we look for. And it typically, um, ideally, uh, a woman's temperature will not bounce around more than 0.5 degrees in the follicular phase. And it will stay above the cover line, which is your, you know, average temperature during the luteal phase. Um, so again, like if there are really high temperatures, excessively high, and you're not sick, you don't have a fever, I, I would still look at the thyroid. It might be hyperthyroidism symptoms going on, or if it's really, really low, that's a sign of hypothyroidism. Sometimes that can create problems with fertility and also signal pregnancy problems. So down the road, definitely want to check that. Um, 
And if you did an ovulation predictor cut, how long after the positive should the BBT rise? So if you, uh, you should ovulate 12 to 48 hours after the positive ovulation predictor test. So, and your BBTs should go up within 48 hours of ovulating. So um, sometimes it can actually take longer to see the rise, but like I've seen it take sometimes four days to see the rise on the BBT chart, but ideally you'll see it within three days of, uh, of a positive um, ovulation predictor test. And what if your chart looks like the Rocky Mountains? So it's all over the place. Um, it could be that you're not taking your BBTs consistently or your sleep has been erratic or you're taking your BBTs uh, orally and you sleep with your mouth open or you're not ovulating. So it could be all, uh, any of those. And um, if you are trying to be more consistent or you're switching to taking your BBTs in a different method um, and that doesn't help, then we need to probably look deeper at your hormone levels and see what's what's causing the lack of ovulation. Um, so some, sometimes we get the question like how late in a cycle can one ovulate? Is it it's possible to ovulate very late in a cycle and there's not really an, any limit. So I've had a patient who ovulated day 70 of her cycle and got pregnant. So it really depends on your cycle. Um, obviously it's not optimal to wait that long because it does take longer to get pregnant, but as long as you're ovulating, you can get pregnant. So um, a long cycle does not mean that there's no hope. So um, if you, uh, have at least one cycle every three months. That's good to prevent the uterine lining from getting too thick. Um, so, um, again, like I, I always think that, um, a good BBT thermometer is fine, or a digital thermometer, really enabled. It doesn't have to be a big fancy thermometer. Um, you can find them on Amazon or at the, the drugstore as well and, uh, pharmacies. Um, and if you're taking fertility medications, uh, such as Clomid or injectables, um, they're probably, I mean, it could be, but it's probably not going to be as accurate because Clomid often causes elevated BBTs around the time of taking the medication. So, um, and it also appears to be more common to have a triphasic BBT on medications without pregnancy so when you're taking that. So I'd say that um, we, we don't really do the BBT charts a lot of times when, when we're taking, uh, when we have patients who are doing medicated cycles. And sometimes uh, people ask if progesterone will raise their temperatures and it might, but natural progesterone usually only causes a really minor elevation, like 0.1 to 0.2 uh, degrees. And, um, but progestins like Provera can raise the temperatures a little bit more than that I found. So now if you happen to have high temperatures over 18 days and you're not pregnant and you get, what if you get a negative? Um, that's an unusual situation, but it could be due to a corpus luteal cyst that can lead to a longer luteal phase. So you definitely still need, you need to go to your gynecologist and ask about that. Perhaps get an ultrasound, make sure that nothing is amiss there. Um, so I hope that that was helpful. And that is our little crash course into BBTs. And next week we're going to go into details about uh, how the, I guess the best strategies we've seen over the years um, in trying to conceive with irregular cycles and also with PCOS. Um, we're going to talk um, more about more of that in detail. And we're also going to get into in the next episode about um, working with 
uh, male fertility. And I know that's definitely, you know, not something we talk about a lot, but it takes two. So um, these are going to be tips for your partner to actually help incorporate into your fertility plan. So uh, let me know if you have any questions at all. Feel free to email me. And until next week, take care of yourself and have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. And that's the end of this episode of the PCOS Revolution podcast. If you've enjoyed the show and want to help me spread the word about how women with PCOS and hormonal imbalances can lead happier, more healthier lives, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. They really do make a difference. If you'd like to have a question answered on the show or would like to recommend a guest, please go to floridacompletewellness.com slash podcast. If you're on social media, you can follow me at facebook.com slash Florida Complete Wellness and twitter.com slash Florida Complete, where I post a lot of interesting research, webinars, and articles on our blog about really getting to the root of hormonal imbalances like PCOS. So it's a great way to stay in touch with the latest developments. Thanks so much for listening and see you soon. Mm-hmm.